Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Sacred Cow Barbecue. I'm your host, Patricia Aiken, and it's Tuesday, July 7th. We are in for a fascinating discussion today. I firmly believe without an accurate comprehension of Germany and World War II, we cannot accurately comprehend our world today. So I'm honored to welcome my guests, Kyle Hunt and Thomas Goodrich. Kyle is the founder of Renegade Broadcasting and the producer of Hellstorm, the documentary. Thomas Goodrich is a military historian and author of Hellstorm, numerous other books, including his latest, Hate Rape, which is, we've got to definitely fit that into this discussion today. Kyle and Tom, welcome to Sacred Cow Barbecue. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having us. Oh, God, I'm delighted. So tell me, how did how's Hellstorm doing on on youtube have they reset the numbers on you yet or is it still going no viral? they haven't they haven't shut it down at all uh, i'm not sure if the numbers are actually accurate some people suggest that they're actually um far far more than than what are being reported what's being reported on youtube uh we do know who owns that um so it is uh, doing very well we have almost uh probably about three hundred thousand on the one upload on my channel and that is uh, that's definitely the big one. But there are other uploads uh, that people have done themselves, whether it's just the basically the entire film as is or with their own subtitling of it. Um, the, I, I don't care if people do unofficial versions of Hellstrom. I just want the truth to get out there. So it seems that a lot of people probably when you consider that uh, some people actually watch this with family, so it's not just one person per view, but perhaps more than one person, uh, I'd guess you know somewhere like half a million people have uh, discovered the truth that's contained in Hellstorm thus far, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger from, from there. It's only been a little bit over two months, if you can believe it, and already it's pretty much exploded onto the scene. Well, I think that's fabulous. You know, I got a friend of mine, a new friend of mine to watch it. His name's Jerry and he may be listening. Hey Jerry. And he called me and said, Patricia, is that true? I'm watching Hellstorm right now. Is that true? And I go, yeah, afraid so. And uh, they're just, people are stunned by the revelation of this. Tom, how did you and, and, and Kyle hook up and decide to do this project? Well, I, it was one day Kyle and I was talking, I believe I was going to be on his program and uh, he just the bomb on me and said, uh, what about a documentary movie on this? And uh, quite honestly, I'll tell you the truth. I had been talking to some other folks about the very this very subject of film adaptation of my book, Hellstorm. But Kyle, uh, he's not a guy that just sits around, thinks about it, and puts it on the shelf, and then uh, maybe a year or two later comes back to the project. Kyle ran with the ball as soon as he as soon as I said, let's do it. That would have been in September last year. Kyle is a one-man wrecking crew or a one-man film producer, I don't know. But he he basically did it all by himself. And that's a little bit like building a, a small Egyptian pyramid by yourself. All of many facets of creating a film like this. Anyway, uh, long story short, Kyle asked me for modest help, and I was happy to give it to him. But what you see is is Kyle, the film. 
he draws from the book, of course. And I've got to say this to Patricia right up front. It's wonderful uh, that somebody would make a film based on a book and do it accurately. I mean, with, with honesty and not be uh, hedging their bets and not be sidestepping and not be skirting around the issue or not uh, not going down some rabbit trail, uh, getting lost in some uh, agenda-driven type of subject. Kyle sticks to the book, and by golly, you don't even have to read the book to understand the book. Watch the film, and you, you get the essence of it. Well, uh, I, have the say, I have to say I, I couldn't finish the film. I mean, it is just too. I got to maybe an hour ten and couldn't do the last twenty minutes. I've still got it marked. It's just heartbreaking, you know. And I was the same way with the greatest story never told. I mean, and I'm I applaud you folks for being Kyle for being able to keep it to an hour and a half. Dennis Wise set out to do an hour and a half, and six and a half hours later, you know, you see what he produced. But right. you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough to keep that. So, what have people said about this, and how has it changed their perception? Well, the honest people have said that it's pretty much flipped the entire narrative on its head. Some people have already been a bit aware of this subject. They've followed the work of other people in this field, and there have been some other good documentaries that touch upon these very subjects. So we're not exactly pioneering the World War II revisionism, but what we're doing is putting together a comprehensive view of the suffering uh, that the, the German people endured, although some things have been left out. And of course, people can check out Tom's book for so much more on this topic. But it's really just trying to encapsulate the horror that was World War II for the German people in particular, because we've heard the other side so many times. So when people finally get to experience all of the horrors that the German people went through, it actually makes the allied propaganda about all of the suffering of six million Jews and the Holocaust and all that, that actually seems to pale in comparison. Uh, it, it, you know, it sounds uh, brash to people who haven't looked into this topic thus far, but I'll tell you what, when you're comparing what, the, uh, what these fanciful stories uh, we have from movies like Schindler's List and all these other fictional accounts and ones that have actually come out and uh, been... Uh, exposed as being fictional. Uh, well, the, ger so the German uniforms in in Hollywood, you know, the wardrobe department have to, you know, be updated every so often and remade. They must wear them out. They make so many anti-Nazi movies. <laughs> right, right. So basically what I'm getting at is that I would actually rather be gassed in a, a gas chamber that could not exist. These mass gas chambers never exist. I'm sorry to tell anybody bursting in bubbles. Let's come out, come out and say that. It's technically impossible. People can look into this for themselves. But if they did exist, I would rather be gassed to death than be burnt alive with my family, be stuck to an asphalt, uh, the asphalt of a road, as, let's say, Dresden went up in flames. I'd rather have that happen than, than watch uh, the women around me that I love being raped by Soviet or American or British soldiers. I'd rather, I'd rather go through the alleged Holocaust than be forced to stand out in a field for days and days upon end without food or water, simply because I was a German soldier and watch my friends perish before my eyes as they're kept in these death camps with no shelter and no food and water for many days. Honestly, when you see what the German people went through, it makes everything else kind of pale in comparison, as I said. For example, just one small event that is covered in the documentary is the sinking of the Wilhelm Gustloff. 
it was a cruise liner that was carrying perhaps between 8,000 and 10,000 passengers, refugees at the time, as they were fleeing the Soviet advance. Now, this ship was sunk by Soviet torpedoes. They knew that this was not a warship. They knew that this was filled with refugees. And possibly around 8,000 people, children, women, old men, went to the bottom of the ocean. Less than 1,000 survived. This is so much bigger than the Titanic. But how many documentaries and films have been made about the Titanic? It is the naval disaster. Oh, what a tragedy. And no one knows the name of the ship, the Wilhelm Gusloff. It just goes to show how much this material has been covered up for well, so long. You know, I, I have a friend. He's, um, his name is Russ Wakefield. I don't think you'll mind me using his name. But when people come to him and talk about the 6 million Jews... He'll say, oh, I think it was 10 million. And they go, really? And he goes, yes, but they're still up a good 60, 70 million. He goes, well, what do you mean? So it's, well, how the Bolsheviks killed the white Russians. They killed at least 90, 100 million white Russians. They go, really? You've never heard of that? I mean, I think it's really important that people know that this isn't just the, the, their first rodeo. I mean, these people have been, the Bolsheviks won this thing, and that's who's running our world right now. Well, the... Yeah. Yeah. Real quickly, that six million number was used so many times, oh. even in the New York Times before World War II. They've been using this as a kind of um, a, a, a religious number of sorts. We've got now Holocaustianity, and it, this narrative is so important to them that they've outlawed any questioning of their official version of the story in many European countries. Yeah, I, uh, think, or, that's, I think that's phenomenal that it's a, it's a crime to be a Holocaust denier. And I actually have a friend from Slovakia that went to prison for Holocaust denial, and he won. His trial, he won. He presented the evidence and won. It's quite a, quite a um, historical fact that has to be protected with a five-year penalty in prison, isn't it? Uh, I don't know of any other so-called historical truth that has to be protected with a, a term in jail. Of course, it's it's protected because it's a lie. It's a damn lie, too. It's a lie that keeps on giving, by the way. It's, a, it's a, like a golden milk cow. Year after year, decade after decade, billions of, billions of dollars of retribution go to Israel. It's tribute. It's not retribution. It's tribute. It goes from Germany. It goes from Poland. It goes from the United States. It goes from virtually every white country in the world, as far as I know, uh, because every white nation on earth is guilty in some form or another for allowing this so-called holocaust to happen. And by the way, when Kyle's talking about um, better to be gassed than to be uh, incinerated in a hellstorm, uh, in a firestorm, or uh, I also say this, it's better to be gassed or shot or, or stabbed to death than to be baked alive in your own uh, air, air shelter. As, as the fire bombs are raining down, you cannot get out and you're being baked alive. Or better than being, it's better to be shot or gassed than to be drowned in an open latrine like so many Germans were who didn't have a clue what was going on. This is after the war. Uh, there are so many other things. Well, for instance, the girls at Neustadt, uh, these young, uh, 2,500 young service girls uh, who performed duties, everything from uh, uh, you know, uh, fixing roads, just uh, really small stuff. And yet when the uh, Soviets came through, I won't say Russian because I, 
I don't think most of the crimes committed by the Red Army were Russian. I believe they were Jewish inspired, by the way, starting at the top with Ilya Ehrenberg, all the way down to the commissars with a loaded pistol in his hand that made sure every Russian soldier did exactly what he wanted them to do. 2,500 girls at, at Neustetten were taken alive and captive, and of course they didn't have any clue what was going on. These girls were butchered. These girls were butchered. They were torn apart. Uh, in the most sadistic and beastly ways possible. And, of course, it was in front of a large crowd, just like the massive rapes throughout Germany uh, as the Red Army come rolling through. These were all public um, uh, demonstrations. There was very little rape in a back room or a dark corner. It was in broad daylight when these people were raped. So, Kyle, yes, you're right. I, I would uh, a thousand times prefer to be gassed alive if that's what happened to anybody than to uh, be treated like this. And this is after the war, too, some of this stuff. I'm, I'm just... oh, actually, there are fates worse than death. And it's I true. All, and all those women would agree that they would have rather been dead. As a matter of fact, the pharmacists sold suicide pills to women. Or whole towns. Yeah. Whole, whole towns town. committed suicide, basically, before uh, the Soviets came. They knew it was coming. Originally, they didn't believe Joseph Goebbels when he said about the uh, the advancing Soviets and what they would do. But once their borders were punctured and they found out, they found out what was in store for them if they lost. And at that point, when they lost, they did everything they could to get to the West, to just get away from the Soviets. Unfortunately, many of them were not able to get there. Uh, the refugee ships were perhaps even bombed by the Allies. Or if they did get there, the Western Allies were no better than the Eastern Allies. The American and British soldiers inflicted upon these women terrible horrors as well. You know, I, I think of um, the story that, that Dennis Wise tells about the Bloomberg massacre, that they were put on a train, they were told that they were going to, to Italy, and then when they saw that they were going back to Russia uh, in, in the Eastern Front, they, they, they committed, men were committing suicide on, on those trains, knowing the fate that was going to meet them. Yeah, Operation Keelhaul is something that didn't make it into the documentary, but it is in the book. And we were thinking about putting in the documentary. But for anybody that is not aware, the, the Russians who had either collaborated with or surrendered to the Western Allies were ordered back by Stalin. And the Western Allies caved and said, yeah, sure, Uncle Joe, here they are. Here are millions of people who you can just slaughter as you please. And that is what happened to them. The victors obviously write the history. Nuremberg was a sham trial, just a, a total sham. Kangaroo court. So how did, how did none of this get out to the West? How did they control this so well? The good war, the just war. When you're utterly defeated as Germany was, and there's no question about it, until this very day, they're still utterly defeated. When you own all lines of communication, when you own all the newspapers, when you, know all, when you own all the, um, uh, the, 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 the uh, capitals of the world, the governments, you can do anything you want, Patricia. I mean anything you want, and we're living proof of that right now. Uh, you, you might think, you know, I grew up really naive, I suppose, really naive. Um, I, I, I thought that, uh, okay, you, you fight a war, you lose a war, and then you get on with business. Basically, nobody can be so terrible as to 
I keep punishing you. It never even occurred to my mind. In my mind, you fight a war with another side. You lose the war. Okay. Uh, sometimes, like the American Civil War, you shake hands and get back to uh, business as usual. Not well, anymore, Tom. Not with that no. one. They're, they're no. ordering the the battle flag down. Maybe we can get to that later. But there are parallels besides, here. Oh, we have to talk about that later. And besides, you know, I'm being facetious, Kyle, when I talk about uh, shaking the hands, right. the Moonlight and Magnolia script for the American Civil War is a bunch of BS, just like the uh, uh, war in Europe. Yeah, I've but always said that reconstruct Reconstruction in the South, um, they, they saw how good that worked, and they said, we're going to have to put that in the playbook. And no it turns out they never took it out of the playbook, and that's exactly what they've been using on the rest of the country ever since, if, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, I did write a book on that very subject called The Day Dixie Died. It's about the first post-war uh, year of occupation by the Yankees when they came down. And far, far from this Moonlight and Magnolia uh, scenario of Robert E. Lee and U.S. Grant sealing the deal with a handshake, America's back to being one nation again. Uh, far, far from it. In fact, it was a smaller version of Hellstorm. Yeah, absolutely. Talking- I agree a thousand percent. We're talking about rapes, we're talking about murders, we're talking about deliberate starvation, we're talking about black raping too, by the way, which nobody ever seems to talk about except Margaret Mitchell and Gone with the Wind. We're talking about a lot of terrible things here, and people wonder why the South was solid. In fact, they were solid right up until about the 1960s or 70s. They weren't solid during the Civil War. In fact, during the American Civil War, the South... I know I'm off the subject a little bit here, but the South was just as uh, uh, disagreed on just as many things as any other nation ever did. Now, you had people harping at this and that. After the war, however, beset from an enemy from without, that is the Yankees, the Northerners up north, beset by uh, the scallywags and the carpetbaggers and the rats among them, then that's when the South started solidifying, becoming the solid South, realizing that, hey, we better hang together or we're going to hang, we better hang together or we're going to hang separately. And so, up until probably the 70s. I don't know so much now, but the South was very solid. But anyway, the Germans, quite the opposite. The defeat was so Carthaginian to the Germans that even to this very day, Germans are some of the most defeated and uh, hangdog people I've ever met in my oh, life. You know, it's, sh- it's shocking to me, even when I meet Americans of German ancestry, and I, say, and I ask them what their ancestry is, what their heritage, and they say German so apologetically. I go, oh, please, don't you know that Germans are the bedrock of American society? That without yes. Germans and Scots, uh, America would not be America. And you know, and I talk with them. I've even it's met true. young Germans in uh, in in Hawaii on vacation, and I would take the opportunity to talk to them about why is Holocaust denial, you know, why is that a crime? What? what well, because and, and they are so brainwashed, they defend it. Thirty-year-olds. We were talking before we went on the air about we have our own linen to clean, our own laundry, dirty laundry. Uh, we don't need to be looking for uh, looking too far for uh, enemies. We've got them right in our own midst. We've got people that are uh, duped, easily duped, too. As a matter of fact, they're no better than grazing cattle. Most of these people, but uh, yeah, we have uh, we certainly have some bridges to mend on our own. Absolutely. But here, here's my question. I, w- I want to know. Y- you both went to the public or private fool system. When did you wake up? To these realities that history was not as we're being taught it. Tom, how about you first? Raised in the Midwest, when did you wake up to this reality? The military, when I finally, uh, during the Vietnam War, I grew up very in a very liberal household, by the way. Uh, I had a mother that was active in uh, uh, racial integration, uh, 
had lots of friends and um uh and so i uh, you know having no uh, experience of my own I, I accepted what my mom said basically it was only when i went away and found out uh, in the real world how really really different uh and by the way I, I will say this right now i'm a racist there's no doubt about it but i did not i was not born a racist oh i i, I, I tell people i'm a ra- yeah i'm a racist i agree with louis farrakhan and muhammad ali don't you <laughs> <laughs> but i've i've learned my racism from the best from the blacks from the browns and from their jewish enablers uh, and over you know a number of years eventually you start saying to yourself well hey wouldn't the hell with this noise i'm i'm going to quit trying because i've tried my best to be not a racist or an unracist if you will but it doesn't seem to work. The other side is just as racist as they've ever been. So it's probably time for me to just join the join the club. Well, well, the, well the only people that are really allowed to be racist are non-whites. Whites That's aren't true. allowed to be racist. So, That's Pat, true. how about you? What was your wake-up? You know, I really started to loathe the kind of the liberal establishment when I was in college at a very liberal college in the Northeast. And I'd see all these, you know, social justice warriors out there, the cultural Marxists, and they really just repelled me so much. And I found that uh, there was no real alternative at the time. I, you know, maybe signed up for a, uh, the conservative uh, emailing list, or the college Republicans or whatever. But uh, kosher conservatism never really sat well with me. At the time in college, I did realize that the most uh, oppressed person in the world today is actually the white man. Absolutely. You're People think, for- as a white man, what kind? What you're you're forced to basically play a game where the the field is tilted against you at a five degree angle, where you're always having to run uphill. Everybody else is given the advantage against you. They all get to run downhill, and you have to run uphill against affirmative action and diversity quotas and a media that is uh, hell bent on your destruction. There, there, are co- there are college professors out there professing about how white men are really the problem and white people need to commit suicide to solve this problem and it, all sorts of just disgusting racial hatred being spewed out against white people in general, but specifically white men. I always took offense to this and I, I was thinking, why is it? Why should it be in this country, in the United States, a country which my ancestors really helped to build and were here since the 1600s? Why should I feel like an alien? Why should I have a tremendous amount of white guilt because a very small percentage of white people in America own slaves? But I'll tell you what, they're not going to tell you the real truths about history, not about World War II and not about the whites who were enslaved in America, which right. actually finally came to a close when the uh, American Revolution took place and was successful. Then the Irish were no longer being enslaved uh, and treated worse than the blacks. Well, they still were enslaved and then genocided in Ireland. Another history that has been covered up and called a famine. Uh, So yes, we have a whole long history uh, of mistreatment, usually at the hands of British and Yiddish masters, where they're able to just genocide Uh, millions of our people, and then cover it up and lie about their own suffering. And I'm just uh, sick and tired of it. So going on since since after college, uh, you know, I still was kind of butting heads with the whole uh, liberal mindset of this world today. 
But it was really when I was out working in Silicon Valley, hating my job, and I was watching lots of documentaries, looking into September 11th, and then I realized that there's a Jewish criminal network that's in control of our government. It's not the Nazis. It's not the international Nazi conspiracy, not the Germanic death cult, as Alex Jones would like you to believe. But in fact, it is the, you know, the project for a new American century. What is it? It's the project for a Jew American century. Most of the people involved with that, if they weren't uh, dual citizens, they were Jewish. Dual citizens of Israel, the highest levels of our government, I realized that there was something seriously wrong and that these people had committed terror against us before, such as the USS Liberty. You know, there's the Levon affair, the King David Hotel. Uh, these people are terrorists, the Jews, and they committed the atrocities of 9-11. Of, and the dancing Israelis can, can attest to this. The Mossad links can attest to this. All uh, Larry, Lucky Larry Silverstein pulling Building 7 and then making off like a bandit with all of that insurance money. Right, and, talk, about to, and talking to his buddy Bibi Netanyahu every week on the phone. Right. Uh, I mean, you can just go on and on. Rabbi Dov Sakim, the comptroller, uh, who it, under, his, uh, under his watch, uh, what? They said uh, $2.3 went missing on September 11th. 2001, they were, excuse me, September 10th, 2001, you, you have uh, being reported by Donald Rumsfeld that, oh, we, we lost a few trillion of your money, Goyim. Sorry about that. Oops. Yeah, that was Rabbi Dav Sakim. Why is a rabbi in charge of our finance? Why are dual citizens, why are Jews in general, who are this uh, tiny minority, this, uh, they call themselves an oppressed minority when they're trying to get in good with the other mi uh, minority groups and team up against the white man. Why are they so overrepresented of our governments? Well, if there's only 2% of the country's population is Jews, why, why a 10% of them in, in Congress and the Senate? And why, why is it basically 90 plus uh, of the media in the country? And when you look at the, the real mainstream media, almost all of it is Jewish owned and Jewish controlled. We are we only have a little bit of the media right now, which is the alternative media. Even though much of it it is Jew controlled. Oh, absolutely. We, we have a little bit with which we are able to uh, speak freely, and it is just it, what we're fighting against is not a new world order per se. It is a Jew world order. That is what got me into questioning all of the lies they've been telling, not about just about September 11th, not just about, uh, you know, World War II, but about all of our history. And so finding out uh, who rules over you is very simple. It's very simple. Just find out who you're not allowed to criticize. And Voltaire, today Voltaire said, gave us that clue. Absolutely. And here's Karl Marx's maxim his is accuse others of what you do. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, Freud called it projectionism. Basically, just project your own guilt onto somebody else and preempt them. Basically, cut them off at the pass and then say, aha, you, you're the murderer, you're the rapist, you're the uh, whatever. You know, a lot of people, I'm assuming that we have a very, uh, very smart, very knowledgeable uh, listening audience right now, but still it behooves me and Kyle, I think, to to point out that throughout time immemorial, it's always been the whites that have been the Jews, Jews' most uh, greatest enemy, somebody who is 
it's always standing in their way. Because why? Why are we? Because probably because we're smarter. Probably because we're more industrious, more we're more ambitious. Uh, we do a lot of things that prevent the Jew from t- complete takeover. Uh, righteous. And he, and righteous, that, yes. We righteous. have morals and ethics, and we do have a uh, we do have a slave like mentality with Christianity. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not uh, one of those slaves. That, but still, when you understand that we've always been the Jews' worst enemy throughout uh, throughout the millennium, then it makes sense this continual, nonstop, 24/7, 365 war against white people. Anybody who doubts that the white man's worst enemy is the Jewish media, or and the federal government, by the way, and you don't need only look to the immigration laws, or rather the lack of. To me, to anyone with two eyes in their head and a brain, half a brain in their skull, it seems as if both the feds and the media are using all their power right now to ensure that white Americans become a minority in this country as fast as possible. In, not in, only in is every, the elite, In every Anglo-Saxon country, not just the U.S. Yes, that's true. I mean, I'm just uh, using America as an example right now, but uh, not only is this illegal brown and black invasion a flood, but the open encouragement by the feds. I mean, what, we've got border guards down there turning their backs, letting them f- file in here. The media and Hollywood, it's always the whites uh, you know, the, the, that are the evil people that are always against the blacks and the browns. Um, and they're trying to encourage us to, to race, to mix with our races, with the blacks and the browns. If that is not genocide, then I know, I know not what the word means. Well, you that know, is the, genocide. Already the white population is less than... Two percent of the world's population are white women of childbearing age. No culture has ever recovered from four percent. So we're, we're a dying race. There's no doubt about it. And Jews oh. recognize the importance of these cultural and genetic ties. That is why they make sure that their people do not mix. They put it, laws in place in Israel against it. They have cultural taboos against it. But they like to have these kind of double standards. They, they do not like to be held to the same kinds of laws that they uh, inflict upon the goyim, as they call us. But, but the wealthy, but, wealthy Jew wants to have the shiksa, blonde shiksa wife, and I think they need it for a DNA upgrade because their, their DNA is rife with diseases. Oh, yes, that is very, very true. There is gene hijacking that goes on, not amongst the Kohenim, uh, though the Kohenim can trace their lines back for quite some time, and there has been some controversy over, you know, Kohenim wanting to uh, mix with just Jewish women who are not pure enough. So they they are very very racist by their own standards. Yet they're always talking about white racism and how much white racism is a problem and needs to be stamped out, and how white supremacy must be taken down and white privilege must be discarded and dismantled. Yes, we, and if, what you, you, if you say if you say anything about Jewish privilege, Jewish supremacy, and Jewish racism, well, you're ooh, an no, anti-Semite. Yeah, you'll lose your job, and if you're in the media, you'll lose your job if you're a professor. You can't criticize these people. Look what happens when even just a few actors speak out. Marlon Brando had to go crawling back, saying he's sorry after he made those comments on Larry King. The same thing with Mel Gibson, Gary Oldman, another actor who recently Mike, Mike, Michael stated Jackson. the obvious. Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, he was killed for that, I think, and then slandered as well. Marilyn Monroe? Yep. And um, what, young, young blonde, what is her name? Beautiful girl, uh, Farmer, Frances Farmer. Oh, I haven't heard of her. Oh, but I'll, send, I'll send you the article. It's pretty, it's pretty horrifying. When you, when you tie it all together with the revelations from people like Corey Feldman and the lawsuits against the Hollywood 
um, the Hollywood producers and casting agents, all Jews, uh, about what they're doing to these kids out in Hollywood. It is a serious infestation of uh, predators that we're dealing with, predators at every level. And these sick, sick individuals need to be held accountable because if we cannot protect our children in this country, then we are not, uh, we're not, we're, we're nothing. We are well, pathetic. Well, well, but, but Kyle, they're God's chosen people. Yeah, the chosen can do whatever they want. Uh, they they live by different laws. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, what's interesting to me is that um, how brainwashed, you know, the, okay, we can say Jews, Jews, Jews all day long, but they couldn't do it without their useful idiots. They couldn't do it without their Shabez Goy. That's true. True. Oh, you yeah. Yes, uh, we've got our own problems. We've got people who uh, hate themselves, and especially us, especially we conscious white people. When we raise our heads, it, the Jew doesn't have to knock us in the head uh, or get their minorities to do that. We've got our own white people that will do that. Oh, oh none, uh, of my, my, none of my neighbors speak to me anymore. And all I did was support the Bundy Ranch, and they don't speak to me. Well, that – and that you wasn't know, even that that overtly racial at all. It's just kind of a guy standing up against the federal government, it, and then and then he said something about slaves, and you know, even just stating opinions or even stating facts about what's happening with black on white crime, what the Jewish control is about. Stating facts, if you are a white person, is now considered hate speech. Oh, absolutely! You know what? I, I totally love the video that Tim Murdoch made how whites took over America, that, that satire of the, the British coming to, you know, the, the America, the great video, great satire talking about, and it's talking about, you know, what we're going through now and the arguments that, you know, we're, we're trying, whites are trying to use and, and it dismantles the whole thing. I think that's a, a great video. People should check that out on YouTube, how whites took over America. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know, talking about our own problem with our own people, our own race, um, look around you. Look at the symptoms of this very, very sick society we're in right now, the obesity, the uh, anorexia, the drug addiction, the drinking. Um, is, there, is there any other – is there a sicker race in the world than us right now? And I think I have a real theory for this, and probably it's more than a theory. It's why are so many of our people sick? I mean literally uh, sick. Uh, probably because they hate themselves. They they realize that what we're saying is true, but they don't have the guts or the intelligence or whatever it takes to come right out and admit it to them uh, to themselves or to anybody else. For well, well, I think I think it's because they have no past. We have stripped away the white man's past. They have no honor in in who they are, and, the and only, it's been beaten out of us. The only roots we're allowed to have are you know like the roots on television, Kunta Quinte being whipped. That's the only kind of roots we're allowed to have is what the evils we have committed against the dark people of this world throughout the centuries, how we've oppressed everyone. We are not allowed to be proud of anything that we've done, although there is so much to be proud of when you just talk about the innovation, the culture, the art, the societies we have built, the amazing advancements that we have shared with the rest of the world and now which the rest of the world is using against us. And it's uh, it's sad and sickening and and dis dismaying to to witness this all, but I think that things are changing. That they will change even more in the future. You cannot keep 
I don't think you can keep white people under under the the rule no. of a small hostile elite for too long without them rising up. I mean, they want us to think that their control is completely omnipotent, that they that they are impervious, that they have no chinks in their armor. Come on, here, come but, on, guys. But, but, how, how many times? On, how many times in the past? How many times in the past have they been kicked out of countries? Hundreds but, of times. But, 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 Hundreds. Kyle, Dancing with the Stars is on. Okay, we'll get to we'll get to the revolution later. Dancing with the Stars is on. Okay. And you know, also, um, I, I agree with Kyle. It is coming to a. Um, it, 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 I can tell you this. Uh, in the last couple of years alone. I have met, either through uh, the internet or in person, some of the most intelligent, artistic, creative people I have ever met in my life. They're on our side. And many of them are waffling right now, but they're coming over to our side uh, because many of them have important jobs. They'd like to keep their fine, you know, million-dollar home. Uh, I could list a bunch of folks right now that would just blow your socks off. If I mentioned, I will not mention names, of course. And I don't think I should even mention their occupations uh, because it might give some of them away. But trust me, some of these people, now we think we've lost our instinct. We have not lost our instinct. It's been short-circuited, but it's coming back. And our instinct is sort of like an animal, a herd of animals just before a tsunami hits the beach. They head for higher ground. Humans don't have a clue why they're going, but now we humans are starting to get that instinct back. We know there's something terrible up ahead, and that's what we're starting to do right now is coalesce, coming together, only the best of us. And that's the way it's always been. Uh, the American Revolution, uh, only about 13 yeah, percent. Yeah, three percent were actively engaged, but another, I think, uh, seven or eight percent were uh, indirectly involved. The rest, they were grazing on the out in the pastures like they'd always done and like they're doing right now. These people, they're good for one reason. Uh, they, they form tremendous mobs, these enormous amounts of people who do nothing but graze and get angry, pissed off, they come after you, and they vote. And, of course, they go fight Israel's wars for it right now without, without asking any questions. So, in a sense, as Mao Tse-sung said, said that um, – uh, oh. Okay, he said numbers actually are very important because they can do things. Just what I'm talking about right now. What was it? Quantity is it has its own quality. That's what he said. Sorry to be so at a loss for words today, but uh, I'm pretty excited. Well, that's what, uh, that's, what we that. see, that's what we see in the world today is the rule of quantity over quantity in terms of just the, the mass culture and just the, uh, the general notion of democracy that we're given now is that – if the dumb idiots out there want something, it's got to be enforced on the rest of us. It is very much a, a tyranny that we're seeing now where it doesn't matter whether or not you want something, whether or not you like something. It's going to be shoved down your throat or now injected into your arm as well, where they've well, got well, these a, toxic a, vaccines a... that they're enforcing upon people. And they're going to keep pushing this stuff until we push back and we say no, 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 a thousand times six million times nine nine yeah, absolutely you know and, and there we have another example of the assault against the dna because those vaccines all have animal dna in them and rna from diseased animals and they possibly recombinant dna what is this attack against well it's against all people blacks uh, everyone suffers uh, you know from vaccines but the attack is is more towards the whites i believe so I guess my question has to be, why was the war against the German people? 
could have been France, could have been Switzerland, it could have been any other, other number of European countries. It could have picked Sweden. Why was it Germany? Germany defied the international bankers, the international Jewish system. Look at what happened in the 1930s when the National Socialists were elected in Germany. They turned their country around in no time flat, three yeah. years, and they, they basically eliminated unemployment. They had come up with such incredible advancements in that short period of time, too. Uh, they, they, had, they televised the 1936 Olympics. They were pioneers. They were finally unleashed. From, uh, they were no longer shackled by the Jew and the shekels. It, it, it was what we all could have become. All other countries would have likely wanted to follow suit after seeing Germany's example. Oh, oh why France, were, France, why were, the French workers went on strike when they saw the, the, how the German workers were treated. They went on strike. You, you know that Wilhelm Gusloff? That was a cruise liner that was built specifically for the Strength Through Joy program in which the German workers were able to take these state-sponsored vacations, uh, these cruises uh, around up into Scandinavia, and maybe I think they went even to Greece, and just doing amazing things on, on, on their, their holidays. Yes, you know, but, going but, up but, and but mountain too. hiking and, and tennis, playing tennis. They, this was the real workers' paradise, unlike the communist, communist uh, Soviet Union, where in their workers' paradise they had to have guns to keep the people in. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, it's just uh, it's night and day. Those, those luxury, affordable vacations that, that Hitler um, said the German people needed and instructed the cruise ships to be built for, they weren't allowed to dock at Northampton. The Jews that were already running England at the time refused to have the British people right. see that. Yeah, that's right. You know, in Germany also um, have, have been leaders in Europe for, for a very long time, intellectually, artistically. Uh, leaders and plus it's a very populous nation and of course to have that example of Germany uh, robust healthy happy moving forward when the rest of the world is uh, in a in bread lines you know that could never happen I mean, oh Hitler, a, Hitler took them out of the depression so fast I mean the the U.S. was was mired in depression for for years beyond that yeah and so that's just simply a, a paragon that could not be accepted and you saw what happened of course Germany went down and took on the world and damn near won by the way yes came close but um, still that's the fate of any nation who rears its head and says we're going to do it alone and that's I think what this Middle East is all about right now and the Ukraine I believe it's all uh, something similar to that maybe not quite to the degree the Muslims have been denigrated and vilified now they're the new Germans and uh, so and they're, uh, you know, the, the same process is, is against the Muslims as was against the Germans, but they refuse to go down. They they continue to fight uh, in their various ways, and so uh, rather than getting good Jewish boys and girls killed, they, they get us to go do their dirty work. Uncle Sucker, basically, we're off doing it. Um, I see. I see this um, parallel to to the South. Here, the South was vastly outnumbered. I mean, the North could bring in all the immigrants it wanted and keep replacing soldiers as, as often as they, they needed to. Right. The, the South was way under underfinanced, and yet they, they withstood this for four years. And, and if it wasn't for their chivalry, I mean, they, they would have won. They could have taken Washington. And how Germany hung on with the whole world arrayed against them is just amazing to me. You're right. What? When you're fighting, go ahead, Kyle. 
just real quickly, what also was accomplished by this war was the genetic destruction of some of the best and brightest of the European people. And this wasn't just the German people, though. Oh, the, the, the loss that we suffered as those amazing Ger Germans just uh, were defeated. But it was also the Russians. It, it was the, the British, the Americans. The Poles. You know, the, the Poles. There were the warriors of yeah. our race were needlessly slaughtered, went against each other in this fratricidal conflict that could have and should have been avoided, and which really no one who actually cared about the, the people of their country even wanted. Chamberlain sure didn't want the war. That's why you had to get Winston Churchill in there to fire things up and not accept any of Adolf Hitler's pleas for peace. It, R Rudolf Hess's story is, is stunning. Yes, flying into Scotland himself, Hitler's number two, to go there and try to negotiate peace. And yet we're told that all they wanted was war. They weren't even, they weren't even dedicated to creating a warlike state uh, until pretty much they were already in, in the conflict. They were, they were not actually looking at developing that part and had said to the other nations of the world, if you will basically disarm we will do the same. We would love to have a world like that. We do not want war. I heard a speech by Kennedy recently, Kyle, that he was calling at the UN and he was calling for complete disarmament and also to disband all the armies of the world and have peace. So there's another reason that he was killed. It wasn't just the 11-110 uh, back on uh, Silver Standard situation or or the 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 nukes in israel he was opposed to israel having nukes right hey I've, I'm, I'm neglecting my host duties here i have to say that um uh, it, it's my privilege to be talking to kyle hunt and thomas goodrich today from hellstorm the documentary and the book by the same name what, what have germans said to you about your documentary or your book tom well i'm overwhelmed by some of the comments that have come to me, uh, almost all of them in email, of course, but uh, I, I'm embarrassed almost because they, they look to me and talk as if I'm some sort of great deliverer or some sort of a, a great uh, liberator. And all I did was listen to what their parents and grandparents had to say and put it down in this book in their own words what it was like to go through all this but still i think the i think what people are saying is thank you for standing up for my nation it's in a terrible situation right now and we have no one here in germany to do that and it would be an american i mean i've told this to other german to germans i've said well we destroyed your nation it's fitting that people like kyle and i helped to rebuild your nation i'm so sorry in fact I hope I can live long enough to see an, an apology among every Western nation that participated in this massacre, this butchery of Germany. The leaders, of course, most of these leaders fortunately are dead and most of the so-called greatest generation are also going that way, thank goodness. But hopefully the leaders can say, we apologize. We made a terrible mistake. It was awful. We agree. Uh, I'm not asking for reparations, and uh, probably the Germans wouldn't want any, quite honestly. It just, but, it just, it just suckered into the war. Sucked yes, into but, it. The Americans wanted no part of this, and I think we want no part of brother wars. And so that's why they've had to turn their uh, attention to 
non-white countries now for the Jews to make their money, you know, in war. It's got to stop the civil war, this white civil war we've been fighting for the Jews. I mean, it can't get any better than that. They can sit on the sidelines and watch us kill one another and decimate our ranks, uh, taking away their enemy in one fell swoop. It's got to stop. It's going to stop now. I'm going to tell you that. You know, I, you know, I, love, I love showing the Apache Clips uh, page, and if anyone would like to see this, send me an email if you haven't seen it. Uh, Patricia can help at gmail.com. Send it to me, and I'll send you Hitler's army full of non-whites that were fighting to stop the Bolshevik Jews from taking over Europe and the rest of the world. And you know what? Hitler didn't have to pay them uh, what he paid his German nationals, but he did. And people from all over the world came to fight with Hitler, and people don't even know that. They think it was just Hitler's so-called Aryan white supremacist. It's such nonsense. Oh, yeah. Veronica, yeah, Veronica Clark wrote a book on that very subject alone. Um, there's there's a mountain of stuff we could talk about, all the way from the 1936 Olympics and Jesse Owens basically waving to Hitler and Hitler waving back. None of the BS that we've heard about uh, the racism of the Germans. Uh, they were honored. Jesse no, Owens no, admitted it, it, was, it was it was FDR that refused to have Jesse Owens in the White House because it was an election year and he didn't want to turn off the Southern vote by having a black man in in the White House. Mm -hmm. Jesse Owens himself reported that in his own biography. But, but let me finish what I was going to say. Uh, I've sure. just been overwhelmed by the thanks and the gratitude from these people. As always, they're they're gentlemen and gentlewomen. They're they're, but the but the, the hurt they've been wounded so deeply, that they're. You know, it's almost as if uh, Kyle, add to this, please, because you're well, getting the same thing now. They've been carrying around German guilt for so long, and when they finally see this. Exactly. It's heartbreaking for them, but it relieves them oftentimes of their German guilt, I think. And they're finally freed up a bit. They don't always have to apologize for being who they are. They can be proud of who they are. They, they can uh, realize that their people have suffered greatly. And it is actually the Jews who have benefited off of the deaths of their family, off of the, the demeaning of their nation. Uh, if you look at what has happened to the whole world since World War II, since the Germans went down in, in a blaze of glory there, every single white country has been overrun. The borders were opened. It was primarily Jews behind this. They pushed all the cultural Marxism. Joe Biden even thanked the Jews for their role in all of this uh, pushing of homosexuality upon the, the country. It is a hostile... Joe, 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 Joe Biden thanked them? Yes, he, he said, he, that. yeah, he, he credited them with their, their leading role in all of this. And they're very open about it if you actually look at their own publications because they think that the Goyim are too stupid to really look at what they're publishing in their own papers. And it's often very contradictory uh, or it's a much different perspective than what they're publishing in our papers because they own all of our papers, such as the, the, the Sulzberger um, Times there, the New York Times. The, the New York Slime. Yeah, exactly. And and so what has happened since then is absolute an absolute destruction of our people, even the allies who won and who are now expected to uh, be blamed for the Holocaust for not doing enough. Basically, it's the whole white world that is to be blamed for this Holocaust against Jews. And hopefully enough people get sick of it. But the problem is that it is an all-out assault. As we discussed before, the vaccines and just the chemical assault that's being done, all of the, the toxic food that people are eating, why they're so obese, and who owns these companies? Who owns Monsanto? You know, Monsanto was a slaveholder. He was a Jewish slaveholder. Why doesn't he have a, 
Why doesn't he have some Jewish guilt? Why is it only white guilt, German well, guilt? Well, it was the, and Jews never... who, the Jews who owned the slave ships. Exactly. But we're not, we never get this. All we get is the, the need for white people to repent for their, their role in the slave trade. When, when you look at the actual numbers, the Jews were incredibly disproportionately involved in not only trading the, the, the slaves, shipping them across the Atlantic, but also owning them in the plantations. But as we know, the winners write the history, and in the history, it's Jews that Jews have never done anything wrong. They've never deserved to get kicked out, and it's always these racist white oppressors who are just uh, screw, you know, screwing up everything and oppressing the Jews and oppressing everyone else. But as I was saying about the, their control over uh, all of our food, all of our, our chemicals and everything with Monsanto and I call uh, it Satan. Yeah, well, <laughs> the fertility of our people has <laughs> dropped incredibly. Well, you see, they're importing all of these uh, Mexicans that have very large families or Arabs into Europe. Uh, the population numbers are exploding. You've got the um, welfare for blacks so that they can have large families. And if it wasn't bad enough, all these economic incentives, people are infertile. The, the fertility rate of, of men has dropped 50% in just a few decades. It is... It is uh, crazy what is happening right now sure and i'm plastics. just i'm just I'm, I'm, bpa is just one chemical among many which is uh, altering our our uh, endocrine system and it is uh, having devastating devastating effects and they're trying to get rid of us that is they are out for white genocide they don't care if they'll take that if they take down others with with them in the process because it's plausible um, deniability that it's against whites if you can say that it's against everyone. Yeah, exactly. No, well, well, blacks and Mexicans in America are being affected too. That's what they'll argue. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, you guys are that psychopathic that you'll take down all, uh, uh, everybody just to get rid of your main enemy. The main enemy because we are the ones who have kicked them out time and again for their crimes. And it's not just blood libel, false tales about them. They do some very, very sick stuff that warrants them getting kicked out, if just their usury wasn't sick enough. Well, but you know, recently it was a rabbi, I believe, who was admitting to blood libel, and someone said, well, what do you do with the bodies afterwards? And they say, oh, we sell it to McDonald's. And they said McDonald's found has been found to have human DNA in its meat. I don't know about that, but I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. The, the meat industry in this country is sickening. You know, well, well, maybe, we, maybe we get to actually animal welfare in the, in the next segment because that relates very much to what the Germans were all about at the time. That's right. We'll be back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Patricia Aiken. I'm pleased to welcome back my guests, Kyle Hunt and Thomas Goodrich, the producer of Hellstorm, the documentary, and the author of Hellstorm, the book. And we're having a, a pretty uh, amazing conversation here, and I'm so glad that you agreed to come on my show today, gentlemen. My pleasure. And thank you for having the courage to allow us to speak freely on your show. It's uh, it's quite rare, actually, in these days. Although it is becoming more common, it has to be done because unless we, unless people understand and what you folks are bringing up about World War II and what really happened, people are never going to understand Bolshevik America or Stalinesque America, as I call it, in the fact that we have the criminally insane running our world. Without people like you providing this soapbox for Kyle and I, uh, nobody knows about us. 
Simple as that. So all kudos to you, Patricia. Well, my, my thanks, gentlemen. Uh, it, I'm happy to be on the team because it, it takes it takes a lot of us to keep getting this word out about this. So when I woke up racially, I, I was living in Hawaii. And that now there's a racist place. And if you think you, you haven't been blamed for everything yet as a white person, move to Hawaii and you'll find some stuff you hadn't thought about being blamed for yet. So it's, I've heard that. it's really it's really pretty interesting. So when are they going to when are they going to stop using cell phones and running water and uh, all the other white inventions, airplanes and cars? When are they going to uh, stop culturally appropriating all of the white man's world uh, because we're so evil? to see that happen and, and to to stop taking the welfare you know, from yeah. this white racist system uh, yeah it's, it's absolutely amazing to me and i think uh mike king wrote a, a great uh article about that about what would the world be like if, if, if without whites what would it have been like you know the marxist professors would say oh it would have been a utopia no it had been a hellhole the same kind of hellhole every country in the world is without whites today and what would be coming what we're becoming, we're, we're going to experience a hellstorm of our own. We already are. It's just not as bad as what the Germans faced yet. We're going to we're going to get there, if not worse, if we allow the trends to continue the way that they are with this uh, radicalization of blacks and mestizos and Arabs against white people, which is being led primarily, of course, by the Jews. Uh, but it is a. It is a uh, very dangerous situation that we're in right now, as it's pretty much open season on white people for rape, rob, robbery, torture, murder. And these stories will never get covered by the mainstream media. Oh, no, it's always got to be about black victimization and white oppression, even though, of course, the crime statistics point the other way. And what I mean by that is that it is about 85 uh, percent black on white in interracial crime uh, statistics here in the United States, as opposed to 15% white on black when you have a, an interracial crime taking place between these two races. It's, you wouldn't know that, though, if you watched uh, NBC, oh. MSNBC, uh, CNN, uh, Fox News, or whatever. No, it's just noble black people that are gunned down by police needlessly because, you know, the evil white policemen. I mean, you know, we, we saw this in the situation. What was the man's name? Zimmerman. In in Florida, who, they even uh, called him a white Hispanic just to try to uh, tar <laughs> white people. I <laughs> know exactly that to make him white. He wasn't even he was Hispanic and Jewish. I mean, he wasn't even white anywhere along the line. I mean, it's amazing. And in, in in the that horror in Knoxville when Ch Chandra Christensen and um, her boyfriend Chris Newsom horribly kidnapped, tortured, and murdered mm -hmm. by blacks. And you know what? What shocks me is their parents refused to call that a hate crime. They re refuse to call that racist. Oh, yeah. There are people who are even victims of the knockout game. They call it a game yeah. where a white person is assaulted. They don't call it a, fem a felony or attempted murder, which oftentimes it is because the person is an old grandmother out there or a young child. Blacks will just come up and sometimes in large groups and just attack a white person. The media calls it a game, of course. But I've seen a, vic a female victim before saying basically that she was, uh, you know, she forgave him and she felt bad because he was probably just a victim of racism and things like this. It is, what is going to wake people up? It's not even a slap in the face. It's not even a punch in the face. They've been that brainwashed. It's amazing. That's, 
that's how sick they are, uh, so many of our people. They've become uh, a similar to German, German brainwashing that uh, there are, yes, we all know whites that would prefer to have their leg cut off slowly with a dull butter knife rather than be thought of as a racist or an anasemite. <laughs> they sur surely would, and I'm not jesting about that. They would prefer death. They would prefer to see their wife and uh, child raped in front of their eyes, rather than be thought uh, anti-Semitic or Jewish or uh, a racist, uh, you know. While in the last two weeks uh, since the uh, Charleston church shooting, uh, I think Hopes. yeah, eight, eight. I nine, agree with you on that one. Yeah. Eight, eight, nine uh, folks were killed supposedly. Uh, I, I don't know the the story behind it. You guys obviously are on the inside, but I'm assuming it's fairly accurate. But you know, in that two weeks. How many thousands of white people have been raped, mugged, murdered by black people for no other reason than they were whites, for no other reason that there's a de facto war against whites going on in this country? You don't hear anything about that. I mean, the, the mainstream stream press, of course, is Jewish, Jewish up and down, owned and operated, and you're not going to hear much from these people, I guarantee you. Nevertheless, uh, don't you think we should probably take away the NBA as a, an act of anger because the blacks have uh, killed maimed, murdered these people in the last two weeks, thousands of them, or take away Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever. They're taking away Southern culture, so why shouldn't we turn around? And, of course, I'm being silly and stupid with this, but nevertheless, when we reach critical mass, when we start becoming an absolute, identifiable, easily seen minority, then that's when the killing begins. It's happened in every other country which where the similar uh, flopover of uh, – Black against white has occurred. I mean, I'm talking about Haiti. Right Thomas, you're, you're the one that I'm going to ask about this. Yeah. The rape capital of the world is Sweden. I thought it was South Africa and Sweden was right behind. But oh, maybe well, that has may, changed. May, maybe, you're, maybe you're right. But it's not Swedish men raping, raping Swedish women. It's not right. um, Swedish men raping immigrant women. It's immigrant men raping Swedish women. Am I correct? You know, how did the Swedes? How did the Norwegians? How did the? How did all Scandinavians get that way? What What happened? Were they feeling? Um, were they feeling so superior, and they were just ashamed of themselves that they felt like they had to give up their culture, give up their women, give up everything? Basically, is that what it is that they were feeling? Uh, that they had, you know, they created this wonderful world. I've been to uh, Scandinavia many times, and it's a beautiful place. It still is. Uh, green trees, forests, it smells good, cities you can live in. You can walk around in most places at night. And all I can figure is this pernicious uh, slave philosophy called Christianity took hold so effectively up there that, uh, we have, that there's some of the best of our people and some of the worst, obviously. Some of the worst in that these are the very sick people I'm talking about. Well, they're beautiful, tall people, intelligent, creative, and yet they're giving away everything they worked hard for. Now, not everybody's that way. In fact, there's a turnaround right now I can talk about in Soka Kyle in Scandinavia because there is – they still have their instinct, these, these sons and daughters of the Vikings. It's coming back to them. Now, will it be too late? That's the question. I don't think so. I, I think we'll take control – if they put 10 white people on Mars, I think we'd have it uh, cities within a 100 years on Mars. That's what kind of people we are, culture creators, culture carriers. And we're not about to just give up. Yeah, whites, just, will, whites will move to Alexandria, Egypt, just to bring the culture with them as a stabilizing force. Whites, whites have always been a stabilizing force. But, you know, we have our percentage of sociopaths. What kind of men play basketball professionally? Tall men. What kind of what kind of people gravitate to politics? 
sociopaths. Yeah, lawyers. Uh, there you have it. Yeah. Well, um, in 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 the in the fifteenth, sixteenth uh, amendment, fifteenth amendment, I guess, maybe it's fourteenth. But they got they got messed around. That's why I'm struggling with the number. Said that lawyers are not allowed to hold office in America. <laughs> Love that one because I've got some great friends that are uh, lawyers. But yeah, let's enforce it. Let, let's enforce <laughs> it. Exactly. You know, we're the, we're the only people who. Uh, for us, the exception is the rule. Every other race, the rule is the exception. I mean, in other words, what I'm saying is um, it's still hard for me to say bad things about other races. I wasn't raised that way. I don't think any of us were raised that way. I appreciate it's, other people's culture. I'm not going to give up eating Mexican food just because, you know, the border's open. But, you know, it's still difficult for us. It's not difficult for the other races, I can guarantee you. I've been around enough of them. They care less about what we think, what we feel, what we want. They, I'm going to tell you straight, I've, that's where I made my turnaround. Like I said, in the military, I know pretty well what they're thinking, and it's not about any uh, sympathy or any feelings for us. And it's hard for me to accept that or adopt that for my own um, philosophy. Nevertheless, we better be doing it. We better be doing it quick. Well, it doesn't know, mean it, you know, just because I'm a racist doesn't mean I want to go out and harm anybody, kill anybody, hurt anybody. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I want to live among my own people for a change. I'm tired of looking over my shoulder every time I go out. I want to live only among my own people. That doesn't mean I want to kill anybody else. Simple well, well, that, as that. Well, I think the crime statistics point this out. W when do we have less crime, 1950 or do we have it today? No, 1950 when we were more homogenized. We were, we were you know, white society was white. Like people say, don't hate, separate. Yeah, segregation worked. As a matter of fact, uh, integration doesn't work. It's never worked, and it won't work. And we're living proof of it. It's always got to be something. Uh, personally, I think it's envy. I think it's IQ envy. I think it's uh, um, we work, we slave, we are ambitious, we put robes over our heads because we look ahead to a rainy day. And uh, that's, that's envy. People who don't do that hate us because we do that. You know, I found I found a book at the library one day. I couldn't even take it out, but I had to flip through it. It was Why Black Men Light Love White Women. Oh, my God. I was, like, horrified. <laughs> I said, I can't check this out. I mean, it was unbelievable. But what an insult to the black community for a black man to white, you know, marry a white woman. Mm -hmm. that, that's saying to them that your women aren't, aren't good enough. And, B, it's stealing a marriageable black man from the black community from a black woman you would think that would be the perception i don't think it is though i think you're always looked upon as somebody who has married up who has bred up their genes are going up uh, i think that still holds true today i don't see any reason why it would but no i understand exactly what you're saying there should be a lot of enmity uh, among black womanhood or uh, what other race you know I don't I can't. It's a, 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 Asians, Asians are notoriously married to, to white men. What, whatever. It doesn't work. Multiculturalism, multiracialism as a nation does not work, will not work, cannot work. And it doesn't take me to point it out. It, you can look around everywhere. We're, Do, we're like birds of a feather. Are you saying that diversity is not our strength? I thought I read that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I like Mexican food once in a while. Uh, but uh, I'm a vegetarian. So uh, yeah. anyway. Right. Kyle, you still there? I'm sorry to hog the show, my friend. <laughs> I don't think so. Kyle, uh, he did come down once for the film shoot. Uh, I do have a 
uh, a part in the film that he made, and I wish he'd kept me out of it, but he insisted on having me in. But <laughs> while he was while he was here, I found out that he's a pretty good horseman. We've got a couple of horses here, and uh, Kyle, I've got a few photographs. Well, of him right you know, now. Saxons are, are known for our love of horses and dogs, so I'm not surprised by that. I know Kyle was also a very good athlete in college. He's about six foot two. He's really put together too. I got to tell you so, but yeah, Kyle is the real deal. He's a a man with a mission. He's got focus. He's got uh, ability. He's got craft. He's got artistry in his veins. And guess what? He's thirty one. Yeah, that's 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 one. <laughs> it's sickening. Is that thirty one? We need a dozen more just like him. I didn't know which way it was up when I was thirty one, uh, but times are changing. To have someone awake at his age is is, is phenomenal. I, I woke up way too late. So, let me also say this about Kyle in the film. Um, he started, like I said, uh, we were talking about a program that I was going to be on. Kyle brought this up. He broached the subject about perhaps a film based on uh, on the book itself. And so I said, let's do, let's run with it. Uh, this was in September of fourteen. And Kyle was looking at Christmas to have this thing finished. It would have been another four months. And he was, um, you know, that's, a, that's an arbitrary date. It's uh, ambiguous. But he uh, found out that some, some projects have minds of their own, and this was one of them. Uh, it wasn't until I think he finished it in May, finally. So he went way over. But it's, that's what you do when you're working on a project, especially an artistic project. Uh, you cannot rush it. If you do, you're going to be very, very sorry. That works for a book. And, and, you, and, and he was meticulous about it. What I want to know is where did all this footage turn up from? I've never seen this footage before. Dennis had some great – Dennis Wise had some great mm -hmm. footage. Mm -hmm. And where did where did you find yours? I can tell you – Kyle hasn't joined us yet, has he? No. You know, I'm going to hang up from him and dial him back and see if we can get him back. Okay. Um, do you want me to go off then for no, a bit? No, 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 no. Just stay here. Keep talking. We, we, okay. We work. Hey, I can, not, I can it, say it's this. It's Tuesday. Tuesday stands for technical difficulties. It happens <laughs> all the time. I can say this. There have been a lot of documentaries on World War II. I mean, you see, you see a lot of film footage on that. Every once in a while you see something new, but generally it's the same old, same old. Um, I can tell you this. I've done tons of research. I've written 13 or 14 books in my overly long life. So I know a little bit about archives, the National Archives in Washington, Library of Congress, uh, and so on. There are probably miles and miles and hundreds of miles of film clips that have never been seen and perhaps will never be seen of World War II. These are films taken by Americans, uh, American newsmen that traveled with the armies, uh, Russians also. And uh, a lot of these films, I can almost guarantee you that all the things we describe in the movie and in the book were also video, uh, uh, filmed. All the tortures, all the slaughters, all the things that we've talked about probably are on film. Now, some of these are so horrific that uh, and so shameful and so damning oh. that probably we'll never see them. If they're still, I'm almost positive they're existing, but they're so far down in the catacombs of the National Archives or the Library of Congress that it's going to take a real special researcher with a lot of passes to get through all this. Kyle, nevertheless, I think he, he will attest that there is enough extant right now to, to bear out what we're saying about the horrific nature of the Allies 
massacre and treatment of Germany. Um, for instance, for one real good instance here, um, during the terror bombing of Germany, that's the last months of the war in which the British and Americans basically tried to kill as many men, women, and children as possible. And that's, the what, that's what accounted for the starvation in the concentration camps, was the yes. bombings. Yes, that and also something called the targets of opportunity. It was a policy of the Americans and Brits to basically turn all their fighter planes loose on Germany. All the roads, all the rails, all the rivers, anything where something moved was to be shot up, shot up and shot at and stopped, basically killed. I'm talking not just about armored columns of Germans moving west or east or uh, uh, men in the fields. or no, Women with baby carriages were, were fair targets. We're talking about that. We're talking about buses. We're talking about uh, trains full of refugees. We're talking about children in playgrounds. We're talking about hospitals clearly marked the Red Cross on top. We're talking about anything that moves in Germany is 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 fair game. It's a turkey shoot. In other words, there's no more Luftwaffe. There's no more protection up there. So the Americans and Brits can shoot anything they want, and they did, like a video game, like an early day video game. And in the nose cones of many of these planes are cameras so that we can actually see what they're shooting. And there's enough damning evidence already of uh, people being shot on the roads, walking on the roads, or descriptions. Like in the book, I have some, some things that Kyle can't put in because there's, this is in the words of certain people themselves and nobody had a camera, but women trying to get bread on their bikes, being shot at, killed, uh, hiding under trains, uh, refugee, tr uh, re refugee trains filled with people. Uh, so in the final months, of the war. There's nothing moving in Germany. And to me, that's the most plausible explanation of all of why so many were dying, not only of starvation, but of disease, typhus, typhus. And, and dysentery. Yes. And so that explains what these cadaverous uh, corpses that the Americans found in the boxcars at Dachau were. I mean, if you're killing somebody, generally they're not Skeletoids, the skeletrons. No, no. Oh no! They, it was obviously these people had died from starvation and, and disease, and Eisenhower, the, the, I mean, sick bastard that he was, he ordered the soul. There was there's films that show other inmates taking those bodies out of the housing yeah. there and stacking them in a pile. Patton threw up apparently when when he saw this, and he left them out in the sun for a reason. And they staged this entire thing and then paraded the German people by just to start the brainwashing. The, the brainwashing started that soon. started a little sooner than that because um, almost up and down the line, one of the first things they did, and of course they've been prepped to do this, when an American column would come through and find a, a concentration camp and find the bodies, find the graveyards, they would force the people in the villages nearby to disinter the bodies and carry them to another place. They wanted them to handle them, and I think probably because not only of the, the shock of it all and the disgusting nature, but also because they're more likely to get disease after handling them. There's films of that also, and photographs of people hauling these rotting corpses. You know, there's Patricia, in this book and in this film, there's some things that are scenarios right from hell. Yeah, they I mean, they are. They were... It's well well titled. Let's speak for for a little bit until we can get Kyle back. I want to talk about hate rape. Was uh, rape was hate. rape hate was yeah reversed. Oh, did I, did I have it back. I always thought it was like date rape, hate rape, no. rape <laughs> hate. Got it. Okay. So yeah. tell me, tell me, was your investigation of this and the scalp dance is a fascinating book that you've written. What 
made you write this new book? I found that, uh, especially in the later years of my writings, much of it had to do with rape. Uh, the Indian War book, it's people have called it probably the most honest book ever on the Indian Wars because uh, I just don't give a damn. I don't, I'm telling the truth and I don't care who knows it. You can be angry with me, give me bad reviews. But, and one of the elements um, of the Indian Wars on the high plains, this is from 1865 right after the American Civil War to 1879 when the last Indian outburst happened. It talks about many things, but one chapter is devoted to nothing but rape. And we've been fed such a long, uh, nasty uh, pack of lies about this that one might think that uh, when a white woman's captured, she was instantly turned into the tribal princess. She was given the prettiest uh, doe skin uh, dresses to wear, the prettiest beads. Absolutely the opposite. In fact, of the uh, 12, 15 women I used in the book itself to find out all, all of them have been captured by Indians, of course. I'm using these women to describe this chapter. Chapter, by the way, it's called A Fate Worse Than Death. And they actually meant that back then. This wasn't some sort of a, a Victorian melodramatic term that they really yeah, didn't they, they, mean. These are hardy pioneer women. They, yes. These aren't sitting on the sofa eating bonbons women. No. Uh, but one of the first things, uh, depending on where they're at, most women were captured moving west. Some of them were captured in the ranch. But uh, up and down the line, this is a real quick thumbnail sketch of what happens to you if you're a white woman captured by Indians. You're immediately, well, you might be killed. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm thinking of Catherine German right now. Her entire family, except for three other sisters, were murdered right there on the spot and scalped. We're talking about mom and dad and an older brother and a sister. But Catherine and her 12-year-old sister, Catherine was 17 and her sister was 12, raped immediately. And that's what happens immediately to virtually every girl, depending on how many Indians are in this war party, whether it's 5 or 25 or 55. That's how often you'll be raped and raped again if they want to. You're under their control, their power. If you're a wife and a mother and have a child that's crying, chances are that child will have its brains bashed out on a rock or up against a tree. The Indian has no use for a baby screaming. And so while the mother's being raped and raped some more and bleeding from the vagina and being beaten and being sodomized and doing all the nasty tricks that um, you know rapists do, then eventually uh, in your stunned condition, you're led back to the village, if that's where they're headed. Or they could be still raiding, but generally they go back to the village, take back their prizes, um, ride into the village. And if the dogs don't uh, tear your legs apart, and by the way, every village had hundreds and hundreds of cur dogs, uh, the old people and young people, kids would switch you with sticks. And eventually you become um, the tribal prostitute. You, uh, Rich men will claim you. And uh, just because he claims you doesn't mean he protects you or even wants to protect you. You can still be raped as many as, uh, you know, five, six times on a trip to get water, depending on how many people want you. And so you're you're owned by a person, but that doesn't protect you. And incidentally, uh, just when you think it can get no worse, it does, because there's also other women in that lodge, uh, another another woman, Indian woman, squaws, uh, maybe daughters. And these people will lash you and lash you and hate you. And they're envious of you because of the attention you're getting. And so you're worked just like the Indian woman was worked. And basically you're worked like a dog, worked like a 
oxen, a beast of burden. Grooves will be worn into your shoulders from carrying these heavy, heavy uh, uh, packs of logs and, and fire, firewood. Um, in fact, uh, the women who were eventually rescued by the cavalry or uh, through negotiations, many people said that they looked uh, almost invariably. You could take a 25-year-old woman captured by Indians. If she was kept for six months, she looked like she was 50 when she was finally returned because of the mistreatment, the, race, the, 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 the abuse, the rapes, and uh, the overwork, and the, uh, the stuff she had to put up with. Now, I'm leaving a lot of stuff. I don't know if I'd want to be rescued at that point and put back into a society and have to tell that story to people. Well, you know, they didn't. This is a Victorian period, and it was very hard to to find out this stuff. Generally, though, a woman is a woman's best friend, and they will tell, for instance, officers' wives when they prod them about what was your life like, and they'll describe it. Or in a case of another woman, her name was Fanny Kelly. Fanny would use, use code words. Things like um, he treated me as his wife or he or he treated me as his own or and she would use words like that saying she was raped. But um, uh, it's when once you were rescued or and very, very, very often Indians, the first sign of trouble would kill you if you were a white woman or any white captive. They would almost instantly kill you. So anybody who survived a cavalry charge was a very lucky person indeed. But uh, the women, the ones that weren't raving maniacs, by the way, a lot of them, when they were finally surrendered and when they finally realized they were safe, uh, they wanted in the worst way to kill their captors. In fact, one, one woman tried to grab a pistol from a soldier and blow the brains out of a man she called the worst man in the whole tribe. Uh, that's how much she hated that person. But... Uh, it's it's been you watch a movie today a Jewish movie a Hollywood movie Dances with Wolves or um, a Little Big Man and you get this idea that uh, uh, maybe it was rough around the edges but actually and Indian captivity for a white woman wasn't so bad I mean it was living out in nature uh, you're, you're healthy you're eating well uh, you've got lots of handsome uh, Indians around to uh, love and protect you like a Harlequin romance type of thing bullshit that's all bullshit. Jews know that, too, when they make these filthy movies. Just the opposite. Uh, I'm not making this up. This isn't propaganda. This is stuff that women have told me in their own words uh, in, the, in the research I've done on this. Now, back to the subject of the book itself. It's about things like that. It's about uh, pioneer women and what they endured. It's about the women of Europe, Germany. When the Red Army and the Americans came through, raping every woman in sight. And by the way, Kyle touched upon this. We, the Russians, the, the, the Soviet Army, uh, the Russians have gotten a pretty a justifiable, deserved rap as far as being the rapists of German women. It's true. Uh, by the millions. Millions of women were raped millions of times, quite honestly. And um, it, there's no way to put a happy face on this. And, and there's no way. It's not like every woman had birth control. So women becoming pregnant. From, from these rapes. It's, the trauma you know, just doesn't end. I could spin through this really quick, and I, it may sound like I am uh, indifferent to it. It's not that at all. But let me say a few things about the, the rape of the uh, German women on the Eastern Front. Now, shock troops generally were white Russians, Ukrainians, Belarus, people like that. Hard-fighting shock troops came through, were more intent on living, surviving this damn war, Rather than rape, rather than stealing, rather than killing, basically they're worried as they step from door to door cautiously, 
getting a, a bullet hole burned right through the middle of their forehead. That's the nature of combat. That's what shock troops do. They fight. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the white Russian is let off the hook. No, they did some terrible things. So Alexander Solzhenitsyn admits, admits as much. But generally, from my research, the greatest damage was done by the rear echelon or the second wave of uh, Soviet troops as they came through. And these, by and large, were Asiatics, especially the Mongolians. These are the ones that engendered such fear among the German people, justifiably so, too. These are the ones that were merciless. These are the ones that were encouraged by Ilya Ehrenberg to do their worst with the German. Uh, in fact, uh, let me try to remember the quote by Ilya Ehrenberg. In fact, he had many quotes, but this one sticks out. Uh, Take the German woman for your lawful prize. Uh, treat her as you would any other toy. When you're through with her, kill her. Nothing in Germany is guiltless, not the living or the yet unborn. Take the woman as your, as your special booty and then kill her as soon as you're through with her. In other words, that's it. Rape them and rape them and rape them and then kill them. And by the way, uh, with Jewish commissars, pistols in hand, uh, orchestrating this massive rape of Eastern, uh, in the Eastern parts of Germany. Um, as I mentioned early in the, in the program, public rape, it was all about that. It was all about raping in front of the other people, the other Germans, making a spectacle out of this. It wasn't about grabbing a woman, carrying her up into the barn loft or over into some quiet, sneaky, uh, uh, dark corner of the house. No, it was about rape on the streets, up against a wall, in a park, on their hands and knees, one after another, sodomizing in broad daylight. So everybody could see laughter among these uh, Asiatics, laughing while they rape a woman to death on a street in the and middle of the day. it didn't matter if she was a teenager or a grandmother. Eight to 80 was the going rate of exchange. In fact, I've got examples of kids as young as six years old and women in their 90s raped. Rape them to death if you can. And they did many times. It was one of the most ghoulish things I've ever read about or even imagined ever in my worst nightmare. Raping a woman to death on a street in broad daylight. She's dead. You're still standing in line along with the rest of these troops laughing about it. To rape a corpse in the middle of the daytime. Laughing about it. When you're finished, when you're finally, when the woman is finally so stiff that she's more like a rock than a, than a human being, then stick something up her, up her vagina, a rock or a stick or a, a bar or a telephone receiver to signify business is over, closed for business. This, this is not anomalies I'm talking about for your listeners. These are not exceptions to the rule. These are the rules I'm talking about. Millions of women being raped, millions of women being murdered after they were raped. Uh, yes, and of course. Okay, and as far as the Western uh, front, the theater, Americans have gotten off pretty easily. We have this notion of American soldiers being these good-natured GIs, chewing their bubble gum, uh, tossing Hershey bars to kids as they go along the road. Well, some of that, no doubt, did happen. But Americans did their share of raping, too. I don't have a lot on the British, but there's more than enough on the Americans. In fact, many Americans, the ones that are honest, admit as much. They say, yep, we were an army of rapists also, I'm ashamed to say. But uh, they just – Americans had a better propaganda mill, a better public relations uh, effort going. Don't forget, when the Americans came through, just like the Russians, just like the French, they came through with their Jewish people behind, the 39ers they called, the ones that had fled Germany in 1939. They came through because they made excellent interpreters, 
because they understood, they spoke the language great, they understood the culture, and guess what? They also make wonderful torturers, and that's the people who stock basically the prison, the prison pens, where thousands upon thousands, and probably tens of thousands, and maybe even hundreds of thousands of Germans were raped, or excuse me, were well, yeah, raped but tortured after the war, not to squeeze out of them. Um, Military important secrets. information. Yeah. Impor yeah, this is bullshit. None of that. Basically, it's uh, a sadism. A sadism as old as the Bible, in which uh, you've got your enemy under control now. You can do anything you want with him. And yeah, uh, there's one, you know, everybody thinks that Nuremberg was the only place where Germans were put on trial. There were numerous other trials going on around Germany. And in one of these, I forget where it's at. Uh, Darmstadt, perhaps, there's something like 300, 400 Germans on trial. And when they finally came to trial of the 300 or 400, I'm, I'm not sure which it was, there was something like only 10 that didn't have their testicles smashed. That's what I'm talking about. This torture, this just, just, beastly. Just Kyle, are you back with us? I am sorry about that, but nope. it sounds like Tom has just absolutely been going on a roll here. So oh, it's easy. It's, it's easy. It's, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, actually that did happen. So I, 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 can... I pushed the play button for him while you were, while you were gone. Good. Yeah, but it's so. Uh... Americans have gotten off the hook as being rather benign compared to the Russian or the uh, Soviet soldiers. That's BS. BS no, no, bullcrap. They're not the greatest generation. They are the worst generation. They did the most terrible atrocities. And the fact that uh, Eisenhower could get away with murdering anywhere from 800,000 to 1.5 million helpless, disarmed German POWs after the war. Does that tell you anything about the American role in World War II? I think it does. Well, I I'm think sorry. something that speaks louder to me than, than Eisenhower's American is Eisenhower in his West Point yearbook was noted to be a Swedish Jew. I wonder if that's true, or I wonder if he just was proud to claim that that heritage. Well, uh, given he certainly, his... certainly acted like one. Kyle, have you done any research on that? Well, I just find it interesting that his name is Ike, you know, even though his, his real name is uh, Dwight. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something to that. I know Ike rhymes with something that yeah. <laughs> uh, would would actually pretty well describe that. that way. Yeah. I just I just found that interesting. That's all. But yeah, I, I know about him being called the terrible Swedish Jew. I've heard they say um, it could actually be part black as well. That's uh, uh, Ro something Roosevelt? I've heard. Roosevelt, Rosenthal. Oh no, 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 not Roosevelt. Uh, Eisenhower. Yes, I was but but about but, but I'm saying down the list. So we have Ike as a Jew. We have Roosevelt as a Jew. Rosenfeld. I've, Rosenfeld. I've heard that as well, although Barack Obama is basically claiming to be the first Jewish president uh, as well. He's got a Jewish soul, at least. Yeah. Uh, that's what he says. But uh, I'd also think that maybe Lyndon Baines Johnson could be put in there as well. Well, definitely Lady Bird Johnson. Yeah. Definitely married to one. Uh, Stalin, Jew. So. Well, I mean, there are – I don't usually like to call out the cryptos because then people will just – you know, you can get into a big debate about it. Okay. But you, you could you could very much show uh, the – well, especially the ones that change their names to try to not seem like a Jew. You know, Leon Trotsky. Right. You know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a Jew. Uh, the, the ones who came all came over to Hollywood from basically the same area, all these Russian Jews. Uh they all changed their names. They tried to hide the fact that they were Jews. They're pretty much out in the open about it now. 
But that's one of the things that they're trying to do during the Bolshevik Revolution is hide the Jewish nature of the revolution. And kill a few uh, Jews along the way for plausible deniability. Uh, they, yeah, they purged some. Uh, Jews will Jew each other as well. You see that with uh, certain scandals recently, like um, Bernie Madoff. His big crime was not just – it wasn't fleecing the goyim. It was uh, taking advantage of, of a few Jews in the process. That's what was really the big problem with Bernie Madoff. It's, it, it, is a, it is a problem. I, I agree. Uh, we need to know who the enemy is. And uh, identifying is half the battle, quite honestly, once we figure that out. But still, I, I, I really look closer to home. I think of these pigs in the torture pens. These were not Jews. These were Christians. These were so-called Christians. They're, these are remember the, the quote in there, Kyle, about the, uh, where the Mississippi boys were the beating as they're beating this poor guy to half the death. And um, these were not Jews doing it. These were uh, Mississippi boys. These were yep. our own people. I I'll tell you what. I get much more outraged at those. Well, There's you know, no you know, excuse the, for the these Bible people. says I'm I'm a, I'm a recovering Bible thumper. And the Bible says when our people go bad, they're twice the sons of the devil. Hmm. There yeah. you have it. That's well put. Uh, and that's the way I feel about it. I'm more sickened and more ashamed and more disgusted by the actions of our own people. In some ways, I can understand the actions of our enemy. The that's hatred right. is so great dogs so bark. deep. Dogs bark. And so we really can't complain about Jewish behavior. It's what Jews do. But that's true. we can complain about our own people engaging in this kind of behavior at their behest or just on their own. This is what's wrong. And if I had my brothers, they would be the first people punished, quite honestly. These ones that knowingly, willingly, eagerly do these things. In fact, that's what the book and the film is all about. I think it's basically how easily they were led to commit these atrocities against their own brothers and sisters. And um, if we don't watch out, we're going to be doing that again in the Ukraine and with Russia. The well, same you know, the, the, worst, the worst comment I've heard about this coming back from, from someone who's a Jew was what the Germans had it coming. Mm-hmm. They deserved it. They got what they deserved. That's right. They, they didn't stand up against Hitler and his, what he was if, doing. They, if you're it, a Jew, it, it makes sense. If you're a Jew, that does make sense. But for a white person to say that, who's probably got uh, 70, 80% German blood flowing through their veins, mm-hmm. for them to say the same stupid thing. See, that's what I mean. I can understand what the enemy is. Would, say, would say they got what they deserved. They believe that. But uh, it's way beyond the pale for someone who's a German themselves to come out and say something like that. Do Jews really believe this, Kyle? Do Jews really believe the Holocaust lie? Or is it just a pablum they, they feed to the goyim? The ones who are running the show, running the show, uh, they <laughs> probably know better. They probably know better, but also realize that if the goyim find out about the Holocaust, the Holocaust being fake, it could lead to a real one. I think that's really what they are worried about, is that if people find out that they lied to us about this, that they'll just get absolutely, well, purged from power. But I don't think that it is the average kind of -of run-of-the-mill Jew. There's a very interesting documentary that's put together by a Jewish fellow, actually, called Defamation. And I do suggest people watch this, just to kind of understand what the Jewish mind is really all about. And it follows these Israeli kids as they're brought to Europe, brought to Poland to tour the death camps. And they have their their IDF uh, uh, handlers there, and they're, they're misinterpreting what the 
what the Polish people are saying. And they're telling these children that basically all these Europeans would just want to holocaust them all over again, that, that there are just all these Nazi anti-Semites running around looking to kill Jewish children. And I, I have to think that it could actually be that the Jewish kids are propagandized even more Mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. the than the Gentile children concerning the Holocaust and never again and never forget and all the rest. You know, it, it keeps this system in place. And it, it's sad. It's sickening. I don't think any children should be should be conditioned in the way that the, they've done with their own and they've done with us. It's it's terrible. It's traumatic. It, it's it's awful what they're doing in, in the name of education now. Yeah, re-education. You know, I hate the word revisionist. Mm-hmm. To me, me it sounds like you're, taking, you're, you're lying about something. Mm-hmm. You're but, crossing out facts and putting in your own fiction, you know? No, right. it's not that at all. It's actually just called his, history. It's called being a historian, to take an objective look at things instead of just saying, well, the law says we can't question this, so it's obviously got to be the truth. Yeah, and, and, and what <laughs> needs to be protected by a law like that? Well, why not look at it? You know, that's that's the, tr- the thing that you can't talk about it that makes should make people sit up and go, hmm, how come not? Why not? Why not? The truth will stand like an oak. It doesn't need any protection. Only a lie needs protection. That's clear. And uh, there couldn't, you know, <clears throat> if it had been some of the greatest anti-Semites on earth, they could not have come up with any better way of basically pointing the, the, the guilt finger at Whoever was the stupid moron that put five years to somebody who questions the Holocaust, that, that's almost like an anti-Semitic uh, counter-psychology move. Uh, because oh. that's going to come back to haunt people, I guarantee you. Canada is, is rife with this kind of abuse. I can guarantee you this will not last much longer. I can guarantee you that. Uh, right now, Europe's in ferment. I don't think anybody doubts that. And the the tide is quickly changing over there. Pretty soon, uh, they're going to be looking for people who pass these laws, not to lynch them from a telephone pole, but basically to boot their ass out and they never come back. Uh, what kind of a person would do that? Well, anyway, I'm off on another tangent here. Um, but, you know, no, I, I can guarantee you that, that those these, these laws are going down in our lifetime, guys. Well, I, I, hope you're, I hope you're right. How do you feel about that, Kyle? I think they are. We've got to enact different laws uh, as well in their place. I think we could take a few cues from the National Socialists in regard to animal welfare in particular. I know Tom and myself are very much for animal rights and uh, do not like to see uh, animals treated the way that they are in our society today. And Hitler passed the first anti-vivisection laws in in Europe, I believe. And he was was against... The terrible way that that Jews uh, did their kosher butchering. Yes, exactly, and that's one thing that we need to, I think, also be against. Let's let's pass some anti-kosher slaughter and halal slaughter because basically the same thing. But at least, the, at least the Arabs stun the animal before before they butcher it. Yeah, well, the, the, the Jews it, it would just discourage it. them from existing in our lands uh, in general. So I think it'd be good anti-halal, anti uh, anti anti. Uh, it's an anti-Semitic uh, legislation in general because, you know, it applies to the Arabs who 
are Semites, and to the Jews, who some of them are Semites as well. So it's well, debatable. well see, I, I believe the whites are the Semites, but that's another story. And you know, the Jews. Well, no. If you look, well, if you look at the art, actually, of what a Semite looked like back then, it does look kind of like a Jew. Now, some people will argue about Israelism and you know the kind of uh, Christian identity mm -hmm. angle, but I, I don't really want to get into that. But I'd like to stay on the the kind of the idea that the Germans were very much for treating people and animals uh, in a very conscientious manner, that Hitler himself cared so much for animals that he did not consume them, that, uh, that Germany was very much concerned about growing organic produce, about having a, a physically and psychologically fit people and uh, really doing what's best for the whole, for the German nation. And this is such a healthy and revolutionary way of thinking about things uh, in our world today. But it shouldn't be. It should make sense that our politicians would actually do things to benefit us, that our corporations should be held to that same standard as well, that we should not be exploiting people or animals to achieve uh, a success, that we can be incredibly wealthy and healthy without doing well, so. Well, we, we don't want wealthy, healthy we, no. we want we want we're... we want sick and stupid, and too sick and too tired to do any research. Yes. You know, we have we've got to do something. In fact, if I had another life, I'd devote it to um, animal welfare. Quite honestly, this is a very sick society we live in, and I don't just mean the animals we consume; it's the way we treat them. We've got animals who never see the light of day that are butchered, then that's what the people are eating today. These miserable animals that are crammed into little cages, chickens who have never been able to walk around, uh, pigs. Oh, in, battery cages. Just And I'm from the Midwest. I actually worked on farms when I was a kid, too, so I know a little bit about what I'm talking. But I also am a good observer. I, I look and see these beastly uh, feedlots that they put cattle on out west. They generally put them away from the interstate so you cannot see them. But I've, I'm one who always took the blue highways. And basically what they do when a farmer or rancher wants his cattle to go to market, sells them to these people, these middlemen, they take them to the feedlot, put them out there on a, on, a, on a blank piece of land without a blade of grass on it. Thousands of cattle are expected to stand out there and eat nothing but three or four times a day of the grain that's fed and basically stand on their own feces and urine all day long, breathing that. If you can imagine that, I mean, only when you see it do you understand it. I'm not drawing a good enough picture of this. Right. Oh, and and, and we haven't involved. even touched the slaughterhouses yet. No, but then, yes, when you finally see them at the slaughterhouses, where the animals have to stand sometimes outside in the blazing sun or the rain or the snow, depending on what the weather's like, hearing their other other cattle going through in the chains and the sounds and the screams and the bloody screams from the cattle that are being slaughtered. And by the way, there have been people who have done investigative report reports on what goes on inside a slaughterhouse. These are not the best human beings on earth who are doing this filthy work, by the way. Some of them are the most sadistic people on earth, basically cutting off an animal's legs and laughing about well, it. it. Yep. It, we it can go like on what, and on. It's got to change. The German people, doesn't it? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that that there's these parallels here. You know, we've the only way, got a couple minutes left. The way that they've treated us is as cattle. Well, that's think about that, the that's word what goyim. goyim means. Exactly. That's how they treat us. That's how they think of us. We're, we're so just look at how they treat cattle. 
Look at how they treat cattle. They're bloodletting rituals. What does that imply? If they call us cattle, what does that imply? That That they live off us, that they use us as their slaves, that that we are a food source to them. Absolutely. And uh, and people need to wake up and white people need to wake up. So do you have any hope for, for whites waking up, Kyle? Oh, yes. It's happening every single day. And the more and more that we put out, the more and more it happens. I, I think it's inevitable that our time will come. It's The Internet is enabling great things right now. But even if it got shut down, I think that the momentum is there, that this is uh, needs to be looked at uh, like a like a virus or an antivirus, actually. Uh, the way that truth is spreading throughout our world. I think we're in the beginning stages of a mass awakening that's been taking place over a couple decades now, but things are really, really heating up. So I am very positive about where we might be heading, but we do have to watch out for the traps and the pitfalls and the con men and the, uh, the different shysters out there as they are looking always to contain us. Oh, well, the, you know, it's, um, you know, the confusion even in alternative media is amazing that they have hijacked the alternative media. You know, we're almost out of time, gentlemen, so I want to make sure that everyone knows you're listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Make a donation, support us. But, Kyle, where can people listen to your show? Renegadebroadcasting.com. Thank you very much. And the uh, documentary can be found at uh, hellstormdocumentary.com. And, all, and it's also on YouTube. If you can't it, is, it is on YouTube, and you can find it um, embedded in the site there. And, of course, Thomas Goodrich, thomasgoodrich.com. He has a, a frequently updated website there with lots of, lots of content. And you can get books from Amazon, but you can also get them straight from you, Tom, right? That's true, yes. And uh, it's always darkest before dawn. I'm like Kyle. I think we're on the cusp of something wonderful going to happen here really quick. Um, nonviolent too, by the way, it's going to be, it's going to be the good years are coming up, but it's darkest before dawn. And that's where we're at right now. Everything just looks bad, but uh, it will change very quickly. Well, you know, I'm, I'm gratified to hear you say that uh, soon on, on my show, I think the end of the month, Merlin Miller is going to be my guest. And you folks may want to team up with him. He's the chairman of the American Eagle party, nationalist party, very well-spoken man, filmmaker, independent filmmaker, and he wants to make a documentary. Actually, he wants to make a full film about the USS Liberty. Yeah, I'd, I'd interviewed him a couple of years back. Yeah, he seems like a very good man. Yeah. Good head on his shoulders. Yeah, good good man. So, pressed with, with, with you gentlemen's work, and I, I appreciate it so much because I know you take a lot of flack for this, but you know, you're over the right target when you're taking that flack, right? Yes, let me say this real quick, Patricia. Sure. Go ahead. I, I, want, I want to encourage I want to encourage the folks to contribute to your program, to you personally. Uh, without you, you don't hear Kyle. You don't hear me. Uh, you're everything. You're our all. And so, folks, uh, if you don't have any talent, if you don't have uh, vast amounts of money, l- at least give what you can. Keep listening to this program and keep it on the air. Thanks. Aren't you nice to say that? Kyle, parting remarks from you? Just to keep to keep positive, to keep focused, and to keep active, because the more and more that we get our message out there, the more and more this system will start to crumble. It is weak. It has chinks in the armor, and we can exploit them. Kyle Hunt, Thomas Goodrich, thank you so much. See you next week, everybody. My pleasure. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.